Section thirty four of the Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume One B. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a recording by Rolder. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume One B, by Jefferson Davis, Chapter Thirty Four, Appendix H part two the senator from tennessee to whom i must refer again and i do so because he is a southern senator taking the most hostile ground against us refers to the state of tennessee and points to the time when that state may do those things which he has declared it an absurdity for any state to perform i will read a single paragraph from his speech showing what his language is in order that i may not by any possibility produce an impression upon others which his language does not justify here are the expressions to which i refer i call the senator's attention to them if there are grievances why cannot we all go together and write them down and point them out to our northern friends after we have agreed what those grievances were and say here is what we demand here our wrongs are enumerated upon these terms we have agreed and now after we have given you a reasonable time to consider these additional guarantees in order to protect ourselves against these wrongs if you refuse them then having made an honourable effort having exhausted all other means we may declare the association to be broken up and we may go into an act of revolution we can then say to them you have refused to give us guarantees that we think are needed for the protection of our institutions and for the protection of our other interests when they do this i will go as far as he who goes the furthest now it does appear that he will go that far and he goes a little further than anybody i believe who has spoken in vindication of the right for he says we do not intend that you shall drive us out of this house that was reared by the hands of our fathers it is our house it is the constitutional house we have a right here and because you come forward and violate the ordinances of this house i do not intend to go out and if you persist in the violation of the ordinances of the house we intend to eject you from the building and retain the possession ourselves i wonder if this is what has caused the artillery companies to be ordered here and the militia of the city to be organized i think it was a mere figure of speech i do not believe the senator of tennessee intended to kick you out of the house and if he did let me say to you in all sincerity we who claim the constitutional right of a state to withdraw from the union do not intend to help him he says however and this softens it a little we do not think though that we have just cause for going out of the union now we have just cause of complaint but we are for remaining in the union and fighting the battle like men what does he mean in the name of common sense i ask how are we to fight in the union we take an oath of office to maintain the constitution of the united states 
the constitution of the united states was formed for domestic tranquillity and how then are we to fight in the union i have heard the proposition from others but i have not understood it i understand how men fight when they assume attitudes of hostility but i do not understand how men remaining connected together in a bond as brethren sworn to a mutual aid and protection still propose to fight each other i do not understand what the senator means if he chooses to answer my question i am willing to hear him for i do not understand how we are to fight in the union mr johnson of tennessee when my speech is taken altogether i think my meaning can be very easily understood what i mean by fighting the battle in the union is i think very distinctly and clearly set forth in my speech and if the senator will take it from the beginning to end i apprehend that he will have no difficulty in ascertaining what i mean but for his gratification upon this particular point i will repeat in substance what i then said as to fighting the battle in the union i meant that we should remain here under the constitution of the united states and contend for all its guarantees and by preserving the constitution and all its guarantees we would preserve the union our true place to maintain these guarantees and to preserve the constitution is in the union there to fight our battle how by argument by appeals to patronism to the good sense and to the judgment of the whole country by showing the people that the constitution had been violated that all its guarantees were not complied with and i have entertained the hope that when they were possessed of that fact there would be found patronism and honesty enough in the great mass of people north and south to come forward and do what was just and right between the contending sections of the country i meant that the true way to fight the battle was for us to remain here and occupy the places assigned to us by the constitution of the country why did i make that statement it was because on the fourth day of march next we shall have six majority in this body and if as some apprehend the incoming administration shall show any disposition to make encroachments upon the institution of slavery encroachments upon the rights of the states and any other violation of the constitution we by remaining in the union and standing at our places will have the power to resist all these encroachments how we have the power even to reject the appointment of a cabinet officers of the incoming president then should we not be fighting the battles in the union by resisting even the organization of the administration in a constitutional mode and thus at the very start disable an administration which was likely to encroach on our rights and to violate the constitution of the country so far as appointing even a minister abroad is concerned the incoming administration will have no power without our consent if we remain here it comes into office handcuffed powerless to do harm we're standing here hold the balance of power in our hands we can resist it at the very threshold effectually and do it inside of the union 
and in our house the incoming administration has not even the power to appoint a postmaster whose salary exceeds one thousand dollars a year without consultation with and the acquiescence of the senate of the united states the president has not even the power to draw his salary his twenty five thousand dollars per annum unless we appropriate it i contend then that the true place to fight the battle is in the union and within the provisions of the constitution the army and navy cannot be sustained without appropriations by congress and if we were apprehensive that encroachments would be made on the southern states and on their institutions in violation of the constitution we could prevent him from having a dollar even to feed his army or his navy mr davis i received the answer from the senator and i think i comprehend now that he is not going to use any force but it is a sort of fighting that is to be done by votes and words and i think therefore the president need not bring artillery and order out the militia to suppress them i think altogether that we are not in danger of much bloodshed in the mode proposed by the senator from tennessee mr johnson i had not quite done but if the senator is satisfied mr davies quite satisfied i am entirely satisfied that the answer of the senator shows me he did not intend to fight at all that it was a mere figure of speech and does not justify converting the federal capital into a military camp but it is a sort of revolution which he proposes it is a revolution under the forms of the government now i have to say once and for all that as long as i am a senator here i will not use the powers i possess to destroy the very government to which i am accredited i will not attempt in the language of the senator to handcuff the president i will not attempt to destroy the administration by refusing any offices to administer its functions i should vote as i have done in administrations to which i stood in nearest relation against the bad nomination but i never would agree under the forms of the constitution and with the powers i bear as a senator of the united states to turn those powers to the destruction of government i was sent to support i leave that to gentlemen who take their oath with a mental reservation it is not my policy if i must have revolution i say let it be a revolution such as our fathers made when they were denied their natural rights so much for that it has quieted apprehension and i hope that the artillery will not be brought here that the militia will not be called out and that the female schools will continue their sessions as heretofore <laughs> the authority of mr maidson however was relied upon by the senator from tennessee and he read fairly an extract from mr maidson's letter to mr webster and i gave him credit for reading what it seems to me destroys his whole argument it is this clause the powers of the government being exercised as in other elective and responsible governments under the control of its constituents the people and the legislature of the states and subject to the revolutionary rights of the people in extreme cases now sir 
we are confusing language very much men speak of revolution and when they say revolution they mean blood our fathers meant nothing of the sort when they spoke of revolution they meant an unalienable right when they declared as an unalienable right the power of the people to abrogate and modify their form of government whenever it did not answer the ends for which it was established they did not mean that they were to sustain that by brute force they meant that it was a right and force could only be invoked when that right was wrongfully denied great britain denied the right in the case of the colonies and therefore our revolution for independence was bloody if great britain had admitted the great american doctrine there would have been no bloodshed and does it become the descendants of those who proclaim this as the great principle on which they took their place among the nations of the earth now to proclaim if that is a right it is one which you can only get as the subjects of the emperor of austria may get their rights by force overcoming force are we in this age of civilization and political progress when political philosophy had advanced to the point which seemed to render it possible that the millennium should now be seen to prophetic eyes are we now to roll back the whole current of human thought and again to return to the mere brute force which prevails between beast of prey as the only method of settling questions between men if the declaration of independence be true and who here again says it every community may dissolve its connection with any other community previously made and have no other obligation than that which results from the breach of their alliance between states is it to be supposed could any man reasoning a priory come to the conclusion that the men who fought the battles of the revolution for community independence that the men who struggled against the then greatest military power on the face of the globe in order that they might possess those unalienable rights which they had declared terminate their great efforts by transmitting posterity to a condition in which they could only gain those rights by force if so the blood of the revolution was shed in vain no great principles were established for force was the law of nature before the battles of the revolutions were fought i see then if gentlemen insist on using the word revolution in the sense of a resort to force a very great difference between their opinion and that of mr madison mr madison put the rights of the people over and above everything else and he said this was the government de jure and de facto call it by what name you will he understood ours to be a government of the people the people never have separated themselves from those rights which our fathers had declared to be unalienable they did not delegate to the federal government the powers which the british crown exercised over the colonies they did not achieve their independence for any purpose so low as that they left us to the inheritance of free men living in independent communities the states united for the purpose which they thought 
would bless posterity. It is in the exercise of this reserved right as defined by Mr. Madison as one to which all the powers of government are subject that the people of a state in convention have claimed to resume the functions which in like manner they had made to the federal government the question which now presents itself to the country is what shall we do with events as they stand shall we allow the separation to be total shall we render it peaceful with a view to the chance that when hunger shall brighten the intellects of men and the teachings of hard expedience shall have tamed them they may come back in the spirit of our fathers to the task of reconstruction or will they have that separation partial will they give each state all its military power will they give to each state its revenue power will they still preserve the common agent and will they thus carry on a government different from that which now exists yet no separating the states so entirely as to make the work of reconstruction equal to a new creation not separating them so as to render it utterly impossible to administer any functions of the government in security and peace i waive the question of duality considering that a dual executive would be the institution of a king-log i considered a dual legislative departments would be to bring into antagonism the representatives of two different countries to war perpetually and thus to continue not union but the irreplaceable conflict there is no duality possible unless there be two confederacies which seems to me consistent with the interest of either or of both it may be that two confederacies could be so organized as to answer jointly many of the ends of our present union it may be that states agreeing with each other in their internal policy having a similarity of interest and an identity of purpose might associate together and that these two confederacies might have relations to each other so close as to give them a united power in time of war against a foreign nation these things are possibilities these things it becomes us to contemplate these things it devolves on the majority section to consider now for with every motion of the clock is passing away your opportunity it was greater when we met on our first monday in december than it is now it is greater now than it will be on the first day of next week we have waited long we have come to the conclusion that you mean to do nothing in the committee of thirteen where the resolutions of the senator from kentucky mr crittenden were considered various attempts were made but no prospect of any agreement on which it was possible for us to stand in security of the future could be matured i offered a proposition which was but a declaration of that which the constitution announces but that which the supreme court had from time to time and from an early period asserted but that which was necessary for equality in the union not one single vote of the republican portion of that committee was given for the proposition 
looking then upon the separation is inevitable not knowing how that separation is to occur or at least what states is it to embrace there remains to us i believe as the consideration which is most useful the inquiry how can the separation be effected so as to leave to us the power whenever we shall have the will to reconstruct it can only be done by adopting a policy of peace it can only be done by denying to the federal government all power to coerce it can only be done by returning to the point from which we started and saying this is a government of fraternity a government of consent and it shall not be administered in a departure from those principles i do not regard the failure of our constitutional union as very many do to be the failure of self-government to be conclusive in all future time of the unfitness of man to govern himself our state governments have charged of nearly all the relations of persons and property this federal government was instituted mainly as a common agent for foreign purposes for free trade among the states and for common defence representative liberty will remain in the states after they are separated liberty was not crushed by the separation of the colonies from the mother country then the most constitutional monarchy and the freest government known still less will be liberty be destroyed by the separation of the states to prevent the destruction of the spirit of the constitution by the maladministration of it there will be injury injury to all differing in degree differing in manner the injury to the manufacturing and navigating states will be to their internal prosperity the injury to the southern states will be mainly to their foreign commerce all will feel the deprivation of that high pride and power which belong to the flag now representing the greatest republic if not the greatest government upon the face of the globe i would that it still remained to consider what we might calmly have considered on the first monday in december how this could be avoided but events have rolled past that point you would not make propositions when they would have been effective i presume you will not make them now and i know not what effect they would have had if you did your propositions would have been most welcome if they have been made before any question of coercion and before any vain boasting of power for pride and passion do not often take counsel of pecuniary interest at least among those whom i present but you have chosen to take the policy of clinging to words the chicago platform in disregard of passing events and have hastened them onward it is true as shown by history of all revolutions that they are most precipitated and intensified by obstinacy and vacillation the want of a policy the obstinate adherence to unimportant things have brought us to this condition where i close my eyes because i cannot see anything that encourages me to hope in the long period which elapsed after the downfall of the great republics of the east when despotism seemed to brood over the civilized world and only here and there constitutional monarchy even was able to rear its head when all the great principles of 
republican and representative government had sunk deep fathomless into the sea of human events it was then that the storm of our revolution moved the waters the earth the air and the sea became brilliant and from the foam of ages rose the constellation which was set in the political firmament as a sign of unity and confederation and community independence coexisting with confederate strength that constellation has served to bless our people nay more its light has been thrown on foreign lands and its regenerative power will outlive perhaps the government as a sign for which it was set it may be pardoned to me sir who in my boyhood was given the military service and who have followed under tropical suns and over northern snows the flag of the union if i here express the deep sorrow which always overwhelms me when i think of taking the last leave of that object of early affection and proud association feeling that henceforth it is not to be the banner which by day and by night i was ready to follow to hail with a rising and bless with a setting sun but god who knows the hearts of men will judge between you and us at whose door lies the responsibility men will see the efforts made here and elsewhere that we have been silent when words would not avail and have curbed an impatient temper and hoped that conciliary councils might do that which could not be effected by harsh means and yet the only response which has come from the other side has been a stolid indifference as though it mattered not let the temple fall we do not care sirs remember that such conduct is offensive and that men may become indifferent even to objects of their early attachments if our government should fail it will not be from the defect of the system though each planet was set to revolve in an orbit of its own each moving by its own impulse yet being all attracted by the affections and interests which countervailed each other there was no inherent tendency to disruption it has been the perversion of the constitution it has been the substitution of theories of morals for the principles of government it has been forcing crude opinions upon the domestic institutions of others which has disturbed these planets in their orbit it is this which threatens to destroy the constellation which in its power and its glory had been gathering stars one after another until from thirteen it had risen to thirty-three if we accept the argument of to-day in favour of coercion as the theory of our government its only effect will be to precipitate men who have pride and self-reliance into the assertion of the freedom and independence to which they were born our fathers would never have entered into a confederate government which had within itself power of coercion they would not agree to remain one day in such a government after i had the power to get out of it 
to argue that the man who follows the mandate of his state resuming her sovereign jurisdiction and power is disloyal to his allegiance to the united states which allegiance he only owed through his state is such a confusion of ideas as does not belong to an ordinary comprehension of our government it is treason to the principle of community independence it is to recur to the doctrine of passive obedience which in england cost one monarch his head and drove another to exile a doctrine which since the revolution of sixteen eighty eight has obtained nowhere where men speak the english tongue yet all this is needful to admit before we accept this doctrine of coercion which is to send an army and a navy to do that which there are no courts to perform to execute a law without a judicial decision and without an officer to serve process this i say would degrade us to the basest despotism under which man could live the despotism of many-headed monster without the sensibility or regardful consideration which might belong to an hereditary king there is a strange similarity in the position of affairs at the present day to that which the colonies occupied lord north asserted the right to collect the revenue and insisted on collecting it by force he sent the troops to boston harbour and to charlestown and he courted troops in those towns the result was collision and out of that collision came the separation of the colonies from the mother country the same thing is being attempted to-day not the law not the civil magistrate but the troops are relied upon now to execute the laws to gather taxes in the southern ports the army and navy must be sent to perform the functions of magistrates it is the old case over again senators of the north you are re-enacting the blunders which statesmen in great britain committed but among you there are some who like chatham and burke though not of our section yet are vindicating our rights i have heard with some surprise for it seemed to me idle the repetition of the assertion heretofore made that the cause of the separation was the election of mr lincoln it may be a source of gratification to some gentlemen that their friend is elected but no individual had the power to produce the existing state of things it was the purpose the end it was the declaration by himself and his friends which constitute the necessity of providing new safeguards for ourselves the man was nothing save as he was the representative of opinions of a policy of purposes of power to inflict upon us those wrong to which free men never tamely submit senators i have spoken longer than i desired i had supposed it was possible avoiding argument and not citing authority to have made to you a brief address it was thought useless to argue a question which now belongs to the past the time is near at hand when the places which have known us as colleagues labouring together can know us in that relation no more for ever i have striven to avert the catastrophe which now impends over the country unsuccessfully 
and I regret it. For the few days which I may remain, I am willing to labour in order that that catastrophe shall be as little as possible destructive to public peace and prosperity. If you desire at this last moment to avert civil war, so be it. It is better so, if you will but allow us to separate from you peacefully, since we cannot live peacefully together, to leave with the rights we had before we were united, since we cannot enjoy them in the Union. Then there are many relations which may still subsist between us, drawn from the associations of our struggles from the revolutionary era to the present day which may be beneficial to you as well as us. If you will not have it thus, if in the pride of power, if in contempt of reason and reliance upon force, you say we shall not go, but shall remain as subjects to you, then, gentlemen of the North, a war is to be inaugurated the like of which men have not seen sufficiently numerous on both sides in close contact with only imaginary lines of division and with many means of approach each sustained by productive sections the people of which will give freely both of money and of store the conflict must be multiplied indefinitely and the masses of men sacrificed to the demon of civil war will furnish hectatombs such as the recent campaign in italy did not offer at the end of all of this what will you have effected destruction upon both sides subjugation upon either a treaty of peace leaving both torn and bleeding the wail of the widow and the cry of the orphan substituted for those peaceful notes of domestic happiness that now prevail throughout the land and then you will agree that each is to pursue his separate course as best he may this is to be the end of war through the long series of years you may waste your strength distress your people and yet at last must come to the position which you might have had at first had justice and reason instead of selfishness and passion folly and crime dictated your course is there wisdom? Is there patronism in the land? If so, easy must be the solution of this question. If not, then Mississippi's gallant sons will stand like a wall of fire around their state, and I go hence, not in hostility to you, but in love and allegiance to her, to take my place among her sons, be it for good or for evil." I shall probably never again attempt to utter here the language either of warning or of argument. I leave the case in your hands. If you solve it, not before I go, you will still have to decide it, toward you individually as well as toward those whom you represent. I would that I had the power now to say there shall be peace between us for ever. I would that I had the power now to say the intercourse and the commence between the states, if they cannot live in one union, shall be uninterrupted, that all the social relations shall remain undisturbed, and that the son in Mississippi shall visit freely his father in Maine, and the reverse, and that each shall be welcomed when he goes to the other, 
not by himself alone, but also by his neighbours, and that all the kindly intercourse which has subsisted between the different sections of the Union shall continue to exist. This is not only for the interest of all, but it is my profoundest wish, my sincerest desire, that such a remnant of that which is passing away may grace the memory of a glorious, though too brief, existence. Day by day you have become more and more exasperated. False reports have led you to suppose there was in our section hostility to you with manifestations which did not exist. In one case, I well remember when the senator from Vermont, Mr. Colomar, was serving with me on a special committee, it was reported that a gentleman who had gone from a commercial house in New York had been inhumanely treated at Vicksburg, and this embarrassed a question which we then had pending. I wrote to Vicksburg for information, and my friends could not learn that such a man had ever been there, but if he had been there, no violence certainly had been offered to him. Falsehood and suspicion thus led you step by step in the career of crimination, and perhaps has induced to some part of your ingression some evil effects we have heretofore suffered and consequences now have their fatal culmination on the verge of war distrust and passion increase danger to-day it is in the power of two bad men at opposite ends of the telegraphic line between washington and charleston to precipitate the state of south carolina and the united states into a conflict of arms without other cause to have produced it and still will you hesitate still will you do nothing will you sit with sublime indifference and allow events to shape themselves no longer can you say the responsibility is upon the executive he has thrown it open to you he has notified you that he can do nothing and you therefore know he will do nothing he has told you the responsibility now rest with congress and i close as i began by invoking you to meet that responsibility bravely to act the patriot's part if you will the angel of peace may spread her wings though it be over divided states and the sons of their sires of the revolution may still go on in friendly intercourse with each other ever renewing memories of a common origin the sections by the diversity of their products and habits acting and reacting beneficially the commerce of each may swell the prosperity of both and the happiness of all be still interwoven together thus it may be and thus it is in your power to make it end of section thirty four this is a reading by rolder london twenty six Oh one twenty fourteen.